You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Welcome to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. Phone number 312-255-8408. Father Greg Zakowitz, the rector of Holyland Cathedral, and co-host Mark Teresi, assistant to the rector for plan development at the cathedral, which happens to be me. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good morning. Very good. Beautiful drive-in, Lakeshore Drive. The lake is beautiful. Cranked open those windows and it's cooler. Beautiful breeze. Beautiful. The humidity went and the uh, heat went. We've had like 21 days of 90 plus through yesterday in July, which still, is above average. Still difficult waiting for you. I'm outside Cathedral and the mask covers anybody's, you know, any any image, a smile. And probably a dozen people walk by. I'm smiling. They don't know I'm smiling. Yeah. And they look the other way. We're I say hello to people on the street. They look the other way. Yeah. Very few even say hello back you know, through a mask, and they look down and away. It's, um, as I said to many people, this summer has not felt like summer. It's summer by way of temperature, longer hours of daylight, humidity, but not by way of uh, summer. No, you have to keep fighting through it. Exactly. But, you know, so I tell people God is with us. Things could be worse. In fact, read the paper this morning. Things are getting worse again in Illinois. We have to kind of stay ahead of the curve right. and protect each other. Wear the masks. Yes, please, and stay safe. And distancing. And will they get through baseball? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Will they play football? I don't know. No. I'm not sure. But we have a great program lined up, 312-255-8408. Award-winning author and speaker Amy Catapin joins us for a conversation about what's keeping her busy during this COVID-19 crisis and um, we've got different topics to talk about. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Father Gray. Good morning, Mark. It's Good great morning. To be with both of you. Now, Good you morning. have been on the program when? When was the last time you were on, Amy? Um, I think it was a couple of years ago. I was on a few times to talk about some of the books that I've written for young people, um, and I was very pleased to be able to come on and talk with you about some of the great books for Catholic teens and tweens out there. And the thing is, when you were on, you were in the studio for that time, for those times. Yes, that's right. It was a very different era yeah, back then. I could actually we have not had downtown. a guest in studio since early March. Wow. Every guest since then has been via phone hookup. And I'll tell you, there's a big difference, phone versus with you in person, just that interaction. But again, we talk about that social distancing. And um, But now, what is the latest book you've written now, Amy? You've written several books. Um, yeah, so I have two books that are already out that I've talked about. I have a young adult novel named Angelhood, which I always say is kind of a teen version of It's a Wonderful Life. And I have a middle-grade novel kind of for grades five and up called Seven Riddles to Nowhere um, yeah. that is about a boy trying to save his Catholic school from closing. Um, I just finished writing my dissertation for my education doctorate at Loyola. So oh, congratulations. congratulations. Thank you. What was your Thank topic, you. by the way? 
and well, it's related to literature, of course. It's engendering empathy for immigrants through culturally relevant young adult literature. Wow! So I was looking at how young adult novels can be used to help kids feel empathetic for um, you know people who are immigrants and refugees. Now, is this so your that, PhD from Loyola? I did, yeah. It's yeah, it's an education doctorate in curriculum instruction. I just defended on June first, so after five years. What was that like defending your dissertation? Well, um, given the pandemic, it actually happened over Zoom, like so many things nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, it was very good. I had an excellent um, mentor at Loyola and um, a wonderful committee of professors over there who were very supportive and um, a lovely cohort of classmates who um, who are working on their own dissertations now, and they came and supported me on Zoom. Um, and, you know, it was, it was good. It was a really good experience, and I'm glad I, I, I did it. Um, and it's, um, it brought together a lot of my interests, you know, writing for young people and education as well, um, which is actually what my next book is going to be for. My next book will be coming out from Ave Maria Press um, next year, and it's going to be a book for Catholic school teachers on combating teacher burnout through some gospel reflections. Wow, how no, timely. That's, how, no, that's very, can they, can they push up timely. the publication date? Wow. Uh, no, that I book, do not, that yeah, book I do still doesn't have a title yet. yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't, have, it doesn't have a title or release date yet, mm-hmm. but the manuscript is with my editor, so um, it is finished, and now I'll be Maria Press needs to decide how they're going to title it and when they want to release it. Now say more about this latest book, because I find it fascinating because I've talked to more teachers who spent, of course, March, April, May, and part of June uh, e-learning, Zooming yeah. with the children. They found it so hard, so yeah, difficult. And here's the thing. They're trying to get school open next month in the classroom. Again, like football, like baseball, is it going to happen or be completed? I don't know. I, I, this one, I really doubt this one. What, do, what are your thoughts, Amy? Yeah, you know, it is a very stressful time. I teach at a public middle school now, and we keep hearing different things, like, every week. So I I don't know exactly where we stand, um, even with the school that I'm I'm teaching at. There have been many plans um, thrown out there. And, you know, everyone's just trying to do what's best for the kids and keeping everybody safe. Um, But it is a very stressful time. And um, the funny thing is, you know, God works in mysterious ways, right? I went on a silent retreat on spring break um, a couple of years ago at a Jesuit retreat house, and it was my—I was feeling burned out then, you know, in the middle of my doctorate program. And um, I thought, you know, I'm just going to pray through the Gospel of Mark and see what I can learn that will help my teaching. And um, God just kind of planted this idea of, why don't you write this down and, and write a book? Maybe this can help other teachers. And so I pitched the idea to Ave Maria Press, and um, it just turned into a whole book then of gospel reflections where mm. I looked at how Jesus was as a teacher, right? I mean, talk about if you want to have a great role model for a teacher, why not go to the teacher of teachers, the one who 2,000 years we're still studying his teachings and learning from him, right? Can you give a little bit of a hint about the book to some of our listeners about maybe one or two ideas for teachers that could be helpful this year for them? Uh, sure. So, um, like I, did, I said, I kind of looked just through all sorts of um, gospel stories and reflected on what we could learn from them. So, um, one, of course, was the looking at you know some of the parables. So, for example, if you look at uh, the little parable of the mustard seed, right? It's a very mm-hmm. tiny little parable, and it's this this tiny seed 
that grows into this, you know, this beautiful tree. And as teachers, we're often planting seeds, Mm -hmm. right? We plant little ideas in our students, and we hope that they take root and they grow. But many times we don't see it Mm -hmm. until later. And so I think sometimes we get frustrated because we expect that mustard seed to burst Mm -hmm. into a giant tree right away. Um, But teaching is a great way to practice the art of patience, right? And realize that sometimes the fruit that our teaching is going to bear isn't going to come until later, but we have to trust, right? That that little little mustard seed we're planting, it's going to turn into something beautiful later on. You're you're going to love this story. When I was in first grade at 100 years ago at Mary Seed of Wisdom, uh, I had Sister Mary Joella as my first mm. grade sister. It was a one-room schoolhouse, right? <laughs> and all 74 of us in the classroom <laughs> from grade 1 to 8. No, it was Sister Mary Joella, first grade, and she was sweet. I loved her dearly. I, I saw her about 20 years ago, and I thought she was long dead. <laughs> and I saw her 20 years ago, and, I, and she came up and she said, you probably don't remember me, but I was referring. I said, oh, Sister Mary Joella, and she's still, still today Sister Mercy, and... And I said, I just envisioned you older. And she said, would you believe, Greg, when I taught you in first grade, you, Greg, were seven, I was 20. She was a novice. Her first, had just entered her first attempt ever teaching. So I'm seven. She's 20. And I thought she was 100 because she was wearing the whole complete Sister Mm -hmm. Mercy outfit. And I thought to myself, talk about through the eyes of a child because she was a nun, and she was such a sweetheart. But you know, that kind of puts it in perspective in terms of like, you know seeds and how you see life differently. And now that I'm 67, you know, someone who's 30 thinks I'm <laughs> ancient. Exactly. Ancient. And so, now listen, just to switch topics a little bit here, Amy, talk a bit about this Bellarmine Jesuit Retreat House offering of a special virtual retreat. Uh, say more about it yeah, that you're involved so, with. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> You know, as always, God likes to surprise us. I had planned um, actually to be working in Italy this summer with um, uh, Loyola. They had asked me to come on over and uh, work at their Rome Center this summer. Oh, wow. And then COVID, right? Then COVID hit, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I, I have a little free time on my hands. I know I had to finish the manuscript for Ave, um, but my brother took over as the associate director at Bellarmine last year around this time. And um, we started toying with the idea of what if Bellarmine hosted some virtual retreats so that, you know, people can't go to the retreat house for a couple of reasons right now. One, they're doing some renovations that are badly needed. And two, obviously with the pandemic, right, that has um, restricted things as well. So this is going to be a virtual retreat. Um, it's actually the last in a series they've been offering this summer. They've already hosted three virtual retreats. And this one's called The Called and the Chosen, and it was inspired by this new TV show. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen it. It's called mm-hmm. The Chosen, and it's about the life of Christ, kind of as seen through the eyes of his disciples who oh, followed wow. him, the, the chosen ones, right? Um, and the actor is Jonathan? Jonathan Rumi, yeah. He's um, a Catholic, a uh, very devout Catholic, and he plays Jesus, and it's not the first time that he's played Jesus. He's actually... Uh, he played Jesus in a um, traveling multimedia production about St. Faustina and the Divine Mercy image. Mm-hmm. And then um, he became connected with this um, director, uh, Dallas Jenkins, who's actually here from the Chicago area. He lives out in uh, Elgin. And he started doing films um, 
for Dallas's church uh, where he was playing Jesus. And then Dallas got this idea for doing a whole TV series, a multi-season TV series about the life of Christ. And, um, you know, asked Jonathan, hey, you want to come back and put on the old sandals and play Jesus again? And huh. Jonathan, you know, jumped at it. As with Father James Martin. So the retreat is going to have Father James Martin, too. So the focus on the retreat is how we're all called to follow Jesus. How do we discern that call? And so Father Martin's going to join us for a bit and talk about the call of St. Ignatius, um, whose feast day, of course, is tomorrow, so good timing here. Um, And he's going to talk about how St. Ignatius was called from being a soldier for the King to being a soldier for Christ. He's going to talk about his own call, um, leaving the business world to become a Jesuit. And we're going to have Jonathan Rumi talk about how he's been called um, to play Jesus in a number of different productions, especially in The Chosen, and how that has kind of led to his doing a lot of online prayer ministry and and getting involved in things like this retreat that Bellarmine is offering. It's amazing all that you're doing, Amy. What are you doing in your free time? That's what I was going to ask. My gosh, it's like... It's I'm embarrassed. I, yeah, it's like we're in the slow lane compared <laughs> to you. Uh, Mark, take us to break. Okay, we'll be back to talk with Dr. Amy, Dr. Amy, right. in, in a few minutes, and talk about some of what you're doing. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the um, immigrant young people and literature, how that connects. I mean, that's a fascinating and very timely topic in terms of enriching their lives. So we will be back, WNDZ, 750 AM, Catholic Chicago on your dial, 312-255-8408. Please stay tuned. It has been inspiring to see how individuals, families, and communities have found ways to help one another throughout 2020. At Catholic Charities, we usually have 35 to 40 events a year where we gather and enjoy time together in support of important programs and services while raising critical funds that allow us to respond to the growing number of people who are in need of the most basic necessities in life. Many of our events are now virtual. If you would like to be a sponsor for one of these events, please call 312-948-6864. That's 312-948-6864. Also, visit us at catholiccharities.net slash events and follow us on social media too. We so look forward to when we can resume our events in person and reconnect with our friends and partners throughout Chicagoland. For now, please consider donating to Catholic Charities so our vital work can continue. Thousands of people in Chicago count on Catholic Charities every day. Please help us help them today. Learn more at catholiccharities.net. We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson. We'll talk with Cardinal Blaise Supich about the outreach efforts underway by the Catholic Church to help people in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll show you how online masses have become a common way of worship, and we'll give you a sampling of how teachers and students in Catholic schools are being creative and productive during the health crisis. Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. Throughout our nation and our world, people of all faiths have recently been joining fervently in all kinds of prayer. 
They have found that coming together in prayer is a source of comfort and strength. In this spirit of unity, the Archdiocese of Chicago has introduced a call to prayer, a telephone line dedicated to prayer. If you would like to join with another person in prayer, call 312-741-3388. This line is staffed from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily with parishioners from across the Archdiocese of Chicago. These volunteers are here to listen to you, offer support, and pray with you. A call to prayer includes a 24-hour voicemail and email options as well. Experience this wonderful opportunity to join with people just like you who trust in the power of prayer. That phone number again is 312-741-3388. Let's pray together today. We're back, WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. on your dial, Catholic Chicago. We're talking with doc- Dr. Amy Catapan. Is that all right to call you doctor? Because you finished, right? I did finish. And you know what? I'm just, I'm so not used to the term yet. You know, people have asked me, so are you going to make people call you Dr. Catapan when you're finished? And it's funny because um, one of my older brothers is a doctor who graduated from Loyola. And I'm like, if you want medical advice, go to that Dr. Catapan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to this Dr. Catapan. So you have, you have a brother who's a doctor, another yes. brother who just took over the Bellman Retreat House in Barrington. Correct. Wow. Yeah, That's... and then two older ones in um, computer tech field. So, um, yeah, and I'm the older girl. I was going to say, four boys and one girl? Yes. You were outnumbered, Amy. I was. Wow. We have... They're good brothers, so it all worked out. We have four granddaughters with one son, and our other son is going to have a boy uh, he and his wife in November, so I know the number dynamic. Not, <laughs> not in the same house, though. <laughs> now, how did you get interested in your dissertation and looking at immigrants, young young people's love of literature? I look at our little granddaughters, and I think uh, Saturday we were there. My wife sat there reading to them, you know, from a distance, but they were enthralled. I mean, mm-hmm. literature is so important to opening your Minds and your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my dissertation topic is really kind of the culmination of a number of things. One, my own experience as an author of uh, young adult books. Um, in fact, when I was doing my master's degree, one of the professors said, don't start your doctoral degree until you have a topic you love so much you can spend years researching it. Yeah. that's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I had, um, you know, my first book come out and my second book about to come out that I thought, okay, I, I found a topic. I'm going to do something with young adult literature in the classroom. Amy, when did you actually begin the research for your dissertation? How many um, years ago? Uh, well, I started the program five years ago okay. this August. Wow. So, um, and I knew pretty early, well, I knew right away I wanted to do young adult literature. Mm-hmm. So I knew that five years ago. I didn't know I was going to tie it into immigration until um, the following summer, so almost a year into the and program. And what, what, what changed the gear with the immigration piece? Yeah. What happened, with, what happened within you? What happened? So a couple of things. One, um, I teach at a school that has a fairly large immigrant population. I teach a lot of children that are actually the children of immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I went to Loyola's Rome campus that summer um, to do a little study abroad at the John Felice Rome Center. And the class I was taking there was on teaching English language learners. And as part of that class, we went to three refugee sites in Rome, because, you know, we tend to think that, like, America is the only country that has an immigrant issue going on. And, and, and mm-hmm. Far from about, it. 
to. Yeah, far from it. And Italy, you know, as if anyone has been following um, what's been going on there, they have a lot of refugees coming through from both Africa and the Middle East. And so while I was visiting these refugee sites like the Jesuit Refugee Services and um, the community of Santa Gidio does refugee services. They're a beautiful community there, too, in the heart of Rome. And I just started tying tying the pieces together. I knew I wanted to do something about young adult literature. I knew I had a population that um, was comprised of immigrants and children of immigrants. And obviously, with everything going on in our country, I knew it was it was a timely topic. It has been for a while now in our country. And my school has a unit in eighth grade where they study immigration, but they kind of study it from the historical perspective, from, you know, what happened at Ellis Island 100 years ago. And I thought, well, what if we could bring in some more contemporary young adult literature that shows some current immigration issues? So I started talking with the eighth grade reading teacher, and I said, how, how, would, you, how would you like to help me with my dissertation? Mm-hmm. Can I use your classroom and your students? And I started reading a number of young adult novels with immigrant protagonists and um, sharing them with her, and she ended up incorporating a couple of them into her classroom. And so for my dissertation, I went in and I was observing in our classroom as the kids were discussing. I interviewed a few kids afterwards to see what their reaction was. What did they get out of reading novels about immigrants in the reading class versus what they were studying in terms of the historical aspect of immigration in their social studies class? Mm -hmm. It was really a kind of a cross-curricular Amy, what did your findings find? Um, Well, what I found was really interesting. Um, I interviewed nine students. Uh, seven of whom were the children of immigrants, one was an immigrant herself, and then one who was a grandchild of an immigrant. And you would think that the students who were so close to the immigration experience would already have a deep understanding of the struggles of an immigrant. But what came up again and again was even from these children of immigrants who had heard their own parents' stories of coming over to the U.S., they said, I, I got more information from the novel. I, got, I, I understand it better now. I can see the, the struggles now. And so what the finding was, it was really that um, even though they're reading fiction, because of the way the authors write, with all the sensory details, the sights, the smells, the tastes, because these books are written for young people with um, young people as the main characters, and often with either a first-person narrator or very close third-person narrator, the kids are really able to kind of um, relate to the main characters, even if they're not immigrants themselves, but then understand it. I mean, time and time again, I heard the kids say, well, my mom told me about when she came over, but when I read this book, I was like, wow, this is really hard. I didn't think about the language issues my parents went through. I didn't think about the, the, the culture shock my parents went through. And these are um, the children of immigrants. Right. These are the children of immigrants whose parents had told them their stories but until they were like putting themselves into the place of these teenage main characters. It didn't come alive for them. So it's very interesting you say that because uh, both my mother and father are first generation born here in Chicago Mm-hmm. So my grandparents, their parents came from Poland into Ellis Island around 1900. And my mother would tell stories of grandma and grandpa coming over. And yet it's so distant for me because I'm second generation born here. And this would yeah. be grandma and grandpa going back to 1900. Now, it's interesting. I still have uh, poetry with Jaja. So I still have my mother's father's um, chest. 
his, uh, mm. you know, the big suitcase was like mm-hmm. his chest. Oh, cool! And uh, it was it was and made everything of, they had was in that. All his world all possessions on the ship from Poland into New York and eventually into Chicago in this one chest that was made about in 1880, a big wow. thick wooden chest, and I have it, and we saved it, and it's remarkable condition. I thought that's it's a hundred and what forty years old now. But see what you you've captured. You're trying to keep alive the story, Amy. You're trying to yeah. keep alive the story because we've got to keep the story and keep telling the story over and over again. Can I ask you? So our two youngest daughters are from Mexico, adopted from Mexico, and I noticed my, my wife has a great a great literature relationship with our older daughters. Every, they read every Harry Potter. She had to learn English. Learned, read every Harry Potter, went to every opening, the Midnight Show, but but she companioned with her in her love for reading. How how do immigrant children? Is there a language barrier with? How do you find? Uh, how do they establish their love for literature? Uh, if there's a, a primary language spoken at home that's different than English. Yeah, you know that's and that's a great question. Um, there are now a growing number of books that um, are dual language or written, you know, multiple languages that, um, that students can access. Um, and sometimes it's um, just a little bit here and there. Like the, as you were talking, I was thinking of um, one of the books that's uh, mentioned in my dissertation wasn't actually part of the study in the classroom, but there's a book called Return to Sender um, oh. about, um, it's by Julia Alvarez, and it's about... Um, a family in Vermont that hires some undocumented workers oh. from Mexico. And it's told in two perspectives, the son of the, the farmers in Vermont and then the eldest daughter of one of the migrant workers. And um, her parts are written um, as letters to her mom or, or to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Oh, yes. And, um, and and there's little, you know, Spanish bits thrown in there, here and there. And I think when the writers can do that, when they can authentically um, bring in, you know, the language and bits and pieces even, I think that helps make that connection as well. One of the big theories that I talked about in my dissertation is this idea of books being both mirrors and windows. A mm, book is yes. a mirror yes. if you see part of your own life, your own culture mm-hmm, reflected mm-hmm. in it. It's a window if you're looking into another one. Those are great, so, great images. Uh, mirror image. We only have a couple of minutes, Amy. We have to switch gears here. Oh, if yeah. someone wants to get uh, your book, Angelhood, and Seven Riddles to Nowhere, through where? Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. They can find all my books there. Um, they can learn more about it at my website. Um, I, my Which is, name is go to give us AJ your website. <laughs> yeah, so it's AJ Catavan, A-J-C-A-T-T-A-P-A-N. Um, and if they want to learn more about the retreat, that's at JesuitRetreat.org yes. for the Bellarmine Jesuit Retreat House. Jesuit and the book, is, this is, the book is through uh, Active Publications? Uh, the book is through Vinspire Publishers. Okay. Yeah. And what about The Chosen? What, there are 18 million stations. What, where is it shown? <laughs> so The Chosen is an interesting thing because it has been completely crowdfunded. It's the largest crowdfunded media project ever. Um, so they created an app to put it out there, and you can download the app for free, and you can watch it for free, um, and then you can cast it from your phone onto your smart TV. Oh, um, good. So you just you look for that, and, and wherever you buy your app, 
um, you just look up, up The Chosen, and all the episodes are there for free because enough people have funded season one already, and they're working on funding season two. They hope to film it this fall. And Wonderful. real quick, Amy, when, did, when does the next retreat begin with um, Father James uh, yeah. Martin? So the one with Father James Martin and Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen is Friday, August 21st. It's going to be a little evening of reflection from 6.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. And it'll so be Friday, Zoom. August 21. And how, again, how can they uh, sign up for this? Yes, go to the Bellarmine Retreat House, which is JesuitRetreat.org. JesuitRetreat.org. Mm-hmm. We have to bring this to a close. Amy, you've been a tremendous guest. I want to thank, in a very special way, Amy Catapin, author, new doctor, doctor. Amy <laughs> Catapin. So congratulations, Amy. You'll be back on the program again. You're listening to uh, Catholic Chicago, WNDZ 750, 312-255-8408. Father Greg Sackowitz with Mark Tracy. The time is 829. Stay with us and do not touch that dial. God bless you, Amy. Yes, God bless.